Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Rachel Moore. Prior to Rachel's career as a marriage and family therapist, Rachel earned a bachelor's degree in creative writing and enjoyed a 14-year career as a newspaper copy editor, winning a Pulitzer Prize in 2006, along with the staff at the San Diego Union Tribune. She left newspapers in 2010 to study her master's in marriage and family therapy. And during that time, she started a creativity coaching business and facilitated workshops based on the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Currently, she sees therapy clients in her private practice in San Diego, where her focus is on helping writers, artists, singers, and musicians. Rachel is an active singer. We're going to have her sing on the show today, most likely <laughs> near the end, and has performed on several stages around San Diego and is a current member of the San Diego Masters Chorale. Rachel is also the creative force behind her podcast, Beyond the Artist Block, which explores mental health and creativity, bringing interviews and insights to working with creative people. We're excited to have Rachel with us on the show to lean into her creativity and the art of working with creative clients. Rachel, welcome to our show. So nice to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Nice to have you here. You know, as we uh, start out today, you made a pretty big shift from being in the newsroom to uh, becoming a marriage and family therapist, an MFT. Talk about that transition. What led to that? Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people will say like, wow, that seems so different. And actually, I know a few of us who've who've made this transition. And um, I think about it in a couple of different ways. One is that I've always been interested in stories. So I'm I'm interested in in people's stories and and learning about them and really connecting with them and connecting with you know stories and and just learning all kinds of things about people and everything else. So I'm a curious person. So you got to be curious to be a journalist. You got to be yes. curious, you know, to be an effective therapist. I think. And so just generally speaking, that's where I see those two careers coming together. And. You know, there are a lot of reasons why I left at the time I did. One is that, unfortunately, the newspaper industry was and is you know, taking a downward spiral. Yeah. And 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 the, the job I had before as a copy editor really wasn't the same job. And I also kind of felt like I had done everything I needed to do there and learned everything I wanted to learn. It was a very creative job, but it wasn't really emotionally fulfilling in the way that I thought mm -hmm. maybe a career could be. And the more practical reason, too, was that I had just recently gotten married and my my hours at the paper were odd. They were like swing shift, like 3, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. type of thing. I'd work holidays and work weekends oftentimes. And my husband said, you know, he said, I thought I could handle uh, kind of this long distance relationship in a way, you know, um, because we didn't really see each other except for on the weekends, you know, and and other times. So he said, I thought that would be OK, but it's not really that OK. And That's I hard. totally understood, you know, like, yeah. And honestly, once I left those hours, I thought you couldn't pay me to, to work those hours again. <laughs> so it was all good. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to realize what it's like not to be in it until you're out of it. And you exactly. see what see what it was like when you were going through your uh, MFT training. You started a creativity coaching business and facilitated workshops around this book, The Artist's Way. And you're talking mm -hmm. about your love for stories, your interest and love for connections and your own curiosity. And you're also an artist, you know, as a singer. How does some of that set the stage for working with creative people? Where did that focus and that population develop an interest from? 
Well, you know, it's interesting when I when I graduated from my MFT program and was getting my hours toward internship and was wondering, like, yeah, who who am I going to work with? Who who are the people? Mm. It, you know, I just couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and sometimes the most obvious answer is right in front of you. And I like the idea, too, that when you're a therapist and you're looking for your niche, your niche is you. Yeah, you know, I really think that, that that's true. Now, that's not to say, like, we definitely can and should work with people who are different from us, you know, and learn about people who have different interests and experiences in life. And, you know, I realized, like, oh, I understand creativity. I understand the importance of art. And frankly, for me, it's one of the big reasons that makes makes life worth living. And if it's so important for me, it's got to be important for other people, too. And I want to be the type of therapist that I would want to go to who would understand why singing is so important to me, right? Like why writing and, and these things have been such so pivotal in my life, not just as a hobby. And for right. some people, it is hobbies. And that's great, too. And for some of us, too, it's 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 really, like I said, like a reason to be alive. And that's so important when it comes to life and therapy and, and everything else. So this importance of creativity in our lives, I think it gives life a lot of things you focused. And we could say that, well, everybody's creative in their own niche. But sure. you found a niche of people that are more along the lines of singers and, and performers and musicians and writers and artists. Mm -hmm. Why that group? I mean, is it is it because mm -hmm. you had this exposure yourself in your performing arts and just as a singer or why that group of creatives? For me, it's just nice to kind of hang out with people that I feel like hang out with, you know, work right. with. <laughs> They're not, we're not friends, but we're working together Yeah, with people who are on the same wavelength. And honestly, it just saves a lot of time. You know, it's a lot easier for both of us. Yeah. Like if I if I understand a bit what it's like to live a creative life, for example, or have these ideas or again, understand the importance of what, like we just save a lot of time, right? And they don't have yeah. to explain it to me. I, you know, I understand it. I don't have to have them explain to me like what life is like being an engineer, though I have worked with engineers too. <laughs> so it's just kind of fun in that way in that it, yeah. it saves a lot of time. And, and like I said, it's just kind of fun to be on the same wavelength and, yeah. and really understand each other in a way that is unique. I think that people who aren't creative in their own lives certainly can work with creative clients and do and do very effectively. And just for me personally, it's just nice to kind of already have that sort of built into what we're doing. That makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes it does. It's kind of nice when, you know, it takes one to know one, or at least that bridge is more easily built and uh, yeah. quickly understood when that similarity is there. As you've worked with them, what, what have you come to understand and learn about creatives in the world, and particularly the ones you work with? And what are they typically coming into therapy with for you? You know, it's interesting because the first thing I thought when you said that question was just about how hard it is to be a creative person, at least in this North American culture. You know, I was running an Artist Way group recently and I had this thought and I shared with the group. I said, do you think that people have these issues around being an artist like in France? Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah. like, is this, is this a, a universal? Do they, yeah. Do they kind of have to get together and, and, you know, normalize being artists and wanting to make a living as right. an artist in the world, you know, and all these things? I'm like, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think that this might be kind of unique, at least to our culture and a few and a few other cultures. So that's, you know, something that I notice is that there are a lot of ideas 
I, I think, you know, we might talk about stigmas around art a, a little later too, but it occurs to me, you know, sometimes when I tell other therapists that I work with artists, occasionally the first question they have is, oh, how are they able to pay you? Mm. Which is a really interesting question. Yeah, yeah. It's like the stereotype, you know, of, you know, and that's not to say, like, I do have, you know, a sliding scale. I do because I like working with all kinds of different people with all kinds of different means. I don't think it, you know, should preclude somebody from from seeing me, at least. And yeah, there are a lot of stereotypes. There are a lot of ideas. There's a lot of like in our culture, there's a lot of like, oh, well, you must have a lot of time on your hands if you're, you know, spending your time drawing or painting or singing. And it's, it's kind of demeaning, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. And I think that, that unfortunately, you know, we, we all kind of share that experience in, in one way or another. So Sometimes people do come to me for, you know, specifically creative blocks, things like that. Other times, you know, a person is an artist and has, you know, other issues in life, like maybe they're working through grief, you know, maybe they're working through other aspects of their career. And I tend to believe, I don't know what you think, I tend to believe that most everything is related and connected. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. again, to bring up Julia Cameron's words, you know, she says, if you want to work on your art, work on your life. Yes. Right. Yeah. So if, if you're having issues around creativity, maybe the issue is like, oh, how am, am I spending my time right. and how do I want my life to be? Yeah, it's really good. You talked about some of the stigmas that artists must bring in when they come to see you. What are some of the stigmas that you that you find them wrestling with? That's interesting because the first thing that comes to mind is mm, a lot of times people will ask me outright. And I'm using this word, you know, because this is the word they use oftentimes, but they'll ask me outright, like, am I crazy? Yes. You know, and yeah. they want to know, like, is it wild for me to want to be pursuing this career in art, for example? Is it, you know, my parents tell me that I should do something practic more practical or, or this and that and the other, and yet I don't feel it in my soul. Like, what's wrong with me? Oftentimes, that's kind of a stigma, too, is that they think that there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. If maybe money isn't necessarily the thing in life that's most important to them, for example, maybe they have, you know, other interests like beauty and creation and, and things like that. I would imagine and, that some of those yeah. early interactions as you're talking about this, it pops to mind is yeah, those must be some very wounding interactions over their life. This is somebody who truly is creative and has the ability to do it. We oftentimes think of creativity as being something, you know, you do, you know, in your free time or it's on the periphery versus maybe something that's so inherently important in the fabric of our lives, but it doesn't get seen that way. We always see it through the dollar bills and are you going to be able to make a living, right. the starving artist, you know, you know, cliche, et cetera. I would imagine some real wounding as someone begins to say, hey, you know what? I think I need to pursue something in the creative fields here and watching the response of others. Yeah, oftentimes criticism too, you know, yeah. um, criticism of the work itself can be really hard. And even though I, I went to a liberal arts school and I studied creative writing, I don't feel like I went to an art school per, per se because it was, you know, it was different from that. I learned about a lot of different things. And so I didn't necessarily get the experience of some people who in academia, for example, you know, are just taken apart mm. and calling it education, you know, to be treated that way. There is kind of a movement now, you know, more and more people are advocating for schools, for example, to bear in mind the nervous system, mm -hmm. to really learn about polyvagal theory, 
to understand that we don't have to literally or figuratively kill ourselves in order to make good art or, or be artists. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's better for us to be in a healthy state yeah. in order to be creative. Yeah. I would imagine too, you know, when I think of artists in many different ways, whether you're, you know, drawing something or you're listening to something, you're creating something, you're producing something in, in, the, in those creative fields. And I know a fair number of, of them. And they bring a really nuanced appreciation for hearing, you know, the harmonies and the melodies of mm-hmm. life, the the ways that things get shaded in, mm-hmm. the things that oftentimes most of us kind of just take for granted. We just kind of see the big picture. Hey, that was a good song. But yeah. those that are artistic can hear the more nuanced, kind of finer, you know, little lilts in there or the little, you know, aspects of that shading that really enhance something. It must be really enjoyable as a therapist because this is, you know, you're creative as well mm-hmm. to be able to listen through that lens for those more mm-hmm. intricate, again, nuanced pieces that maybe sometimes people don't even see in themselves that you get to kind of hold up and say, hey, you know what I'm noticing? Mm-hmm. And maybe they get to see it too for the very first time. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of being a therapist, right, is to be that that mirror and I think you're right. The word that comes up for me around what you're saying is sensitivity, yes. right? Kind of having a higher heightened or higher yes. sensitivity. And of course, that's a double-edged sword too sometimes because I think as an artist and a creative, that's where we can be harmed when it does come to those wounds and things like that. So it's like the flip side of that. And on the other side, like, yeah, we are able to, yeah, make life richer, I think, for everybody. And that's the beauty of of artists and, and creatives. And yeah, it is fun as a therapist to sort of listen with that really open, because to be creative, you have to be open, right? Yes. To whatever to be vulnerable. comes up. Yeah. Right. And I feel like every time somebody comes in the door or I see them online, I don't know what's going to happen. It's improv every time, right? I have, I certainly have, it is important to have like a structure. Like I do EMDR, I do brain spotting, like I'm trained in those modalities. It's important to have a structure within that structure. Let's just see what happens. And it's very exciting. That's why I'm even getting chills talking about it right now. That's why I never get bored with my job, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral and mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years, working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. I like the idea we're talking about the more nuanced, you know, intricate parts of this. When we're working with folks, uh, we recognize that they may not know what they don't know about themselves. And sometimes in therapy, in the mirroring process, particularly if we're looking at a little bit of a kind of a strength-based focus Mm -hmm. in holding things up, we get to almost introduce them 
to themselves. They, they, they've been living this self as they don't, you know, they don't recognize it, but they've been living this. And as we begin to kind of hold themselves up to them, they begin to get some perspective in a new way. And ideally, you know, when you're talking about, hey, you've got this really great ability to be sensitive to and and conscious of things that others don't. And mm-hmm. boy, what a, what an opportunity to help them both understand that, maybe for the very first time and appreciate, but then also understand their contribution that mm-hmm. makes life so much richer and enhances other people's you know, lives too, without maybe them even realizing it. Mm-hmm. A lot of what comes up in my work is this idea of worthiness. Yes. And we do, we talk about that a lot. And I, I mean, just purely from my human parts, you know, forget being a therapist or whatever. I, I share with people oftentimes, like you are, you are worthy just from existing. And, and, and I know on the surface that sounds like, okay, yeah, whatever, but I really feel it like, right. I love my clients. I mean, I am honored to meet them, to interact with them, to be trusted by them. I mean, I don't take that for granted. And, and honestly, to get their perspectives and insights too, I learned, you know, we talk about this a lot as therapists, I think, like I learned so much from my clients mm-hmm. and that's not the purpose, you know, it's just a nice side effect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I that's, I think that's myself, a serendipitous yeah. piece of what we get to experience. We get to grow, we get to have our lives enhanced. Mm-hmm. We get to understand things that maybe we didn't understand before, but just an appreciation kind of for this human condition Yeah. that we're all in, this thing called life. and. You know, you you mentioned you use a couple of, you know, a variety of techniques and approaches, one of them being EMDR and mm-hmm. one of them is brain spotting. And mm-hmm. I don't believe a lot of people know much about brain spotting. Help us understand, just give us kind of a working definition of that and then how you implement that into your work and how you decide to bring that into your work and its benefit. Sure. Yeah. And there's a really great video that I will try to remember to put for the resources for the episode too. It's a really good description of brain spotting, where it came from, what it is. It came out of EMDR, and and the the short version is that instead of using eye movements the same way we do in EMDR to process through disturbing events, we just find one spot. And the idea is that our brains and our and our eyes are made up of the same stuff. I don't know the technical definition of this, but this is what I'm told. <laughs> and there is a connection between our vision. And maybe the trauma that's in the deeper parts of our brains. And so through brain spotting, we just use a wand or whatever, you know, visual thing to find a spot where that's stimulated. And then we just kind of, they call it getting subcortical. So Mm -hmm. we just kind of get behind the prefrontal cortex. You know, people can talk or not talk when they're, when they're doing brain spotting. I hardly talk at all as the therapist. I'm just there to facilitate this process and the brain we just allow the brain to work through whatever it needs to work through and the way it needs to do it. What so, are you doing in that moment as the brain is activated in that spot where the, uh-huh. let's say, trauma is held at the subcortical yeah. level? What are mm-hmm. you doing in that moment while the brain is actively healing as a, as a therapist? As a therapist. What are you doing? Oh, I'm talking about the paying attention. I'm so focused on what's going on with the client visually, energetically. Like, you know, this is when we're talking about the nuances, right? Like I'm really tuning in to get a are sense Are you holding of, that wand right there? Or are you moving yeah. it? Are they talking no, actively? No. So I'm literally holding, I'll just hold the wand in, yes. in a spot. And, yeah. and, they, and then I say, just let your brain and body do whatever it wants to do. Yes. Get non-judgmental, get curious, get compassionate. 
and see where it goes. And sometimes they talk, yeah. sometimes they don't. You know, if they're having an experience uh-huh. that, that maybe is preverbal, maybe, you know, maybe they don't talk, for example. I do brain spotting a lot as a client and I tend to just talk. I'm a very much a verbal processor. <laughs> so I just talk the whole time and it works for me. But sometimes I don't, right? Sometimes the brain just does what it does. Yeah. And so I, as a therapist, from the outside, it would look like I'm not doing much at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm holding, somebody said, what do I just hold the stick? And I'm like, yeah, you just, just hold the stick. Now, of course, there's more to that, but like physically, yeah. <laughs> that's all you do. Yeah. Well, the good news is we know that the brain knows how to heal. Yes. And brain holds the trauma, a body holds the trauma. And there's in yep. our neural network, we, our trauma gets stuck. It, our trauma is outside the realm, you know, our experience is outside the realm of normal experience that our brain cannot process on its own. But when we can activate it and we can access it the way you're talking about, once mm-hmm. activated, the brain knows how to take it from there. Exactly. And so you're talking about identifying it, spot it, activate it, and let the let the natural process take place. And it's a beautiful. I, I do a lot of EMDR. And it's a beautiful process, mm, and wonderful, and it, and it and it works. It's it's fantastic and helps us get through those things that insight therapy alone can't do. This is at a this is at the primary conscious level that we can't access with talk therapy. It's a talk therapy secondary conscious, and yep. it's all good. We can identify it. And we come up with coping strategies and all those things and ways to identify it early and manage it. But why not get rid of it? You know, exactly. Just have it not be there. Oh my gosh, sometimes people come to me and they want tools, right? They want tools to manage. And I heard an EMDR therapist say like, well, yeah, I just tell them, well, forget the tools. Why don't we just like, why don't we just resolve the issue, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. go go below the surface and really get into the, the where it started. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I'm like, I'm not really not interested in tools. They're important. <laughs> they are important in the moment. But generally speaking, I'm like, yeah, let's just get down to it. There's a great poem called There's a Hole in My Sidewalk. And it talks about walking down the street and it's a short five verse phone, a poem. And it's, I'm walking down the street and there's a hole in my sidewalk. I don't see it. And I fall in and I have no idea what I'm in. I find my way out. Next day, I walk down the same street. There's a hole in my sidewalk and I fall in again. And I still don't kind of know where I'm at, but I get out faster. Next day, I walk down the same street. I see the hole. I still fall in, but I know what I'm in and I get out all the faster. The next day, I see the, I see the hole in my sidewalk and I walk around it. The next day I walk down the street, same hole, same sidewalk, and I take a different street. And when you think about it, that's kind of good psychotherapy at a primary conscious level where we're talking about things. We teach people how to see the hole in their sidewalks and how to recognize them. If you do fall in, you don't stay down as long. You have the techniques and strategies to get out all the faster. But with the EMDR and the healing techniques you're talking about, we get to walk down the street and there's no more hole in my sidewalk. Right. That's what I'm saying. Why not fix the hole? Yeah. I can walk down any street I want. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And there's because there's no more hole in my sidewalk. Yeah. So, yeah, I love what you're doing around that. Tell me a little bit about, you know, maybe something that comes to mind in terms of a hallmark story of someone coming in and really struggling and just really stuck or, or really wanting to work through some things of importance. And, and you were able to kind of employ the things that you do and the relationship that you can clearly easily establish with people that's interested and curious and caring. Walk us through kind of maybe what you did and what they walked out of their time with you experiencing and looking like. Sure. I'm thinking of one person in particular, of course, you know, no identifying information about this person. And they, the issue was they were having anxiety around their performance as a creative. 
And especially around like feedback from other people, such as, you know, views and likes and and all that stuff on social media and, and you know, just being what they would consider successful in their field. And we began doing EMDR around this issue. And interestingly, where we ended up, again, because we're being open and curious to see where the brain goes, where we ended up was actually this person needing to process through the death of their father at an early age. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of processing around that. And then we did a lot of processing around this particular client's issues around anger and and feeling out of control. We did a lot of processing around that. And interestingly, as we did all of this, the issue that they came in with originally was starting to get resolved. Mm-hmm. And And they even noticed, they said, I had no idea when I came in that we would be talking about like my father's death, like that, right? Like if, if you just look at it again, you know, like on the surface, if you just look at it, like how could that that even be yeah. related? It's like, well, you know, we don't know until we explore and we find out and we actually go through that process and see that, you know, this grief or these ideas about ourselves that that, that get planted because of things that happen to us really do still affect us. We're yes. older that the neuropathways don't have a reason to change and don't get like they're not going to change. And so the things that that we felt at 10, maybe we feel at 50, you know, um, and that's OK because the brain actually is adaptable and does remain plastic and adaptable as we get older. It's a little it's a little harder. And I definitely do see my younger clients moving faster with some of these things. And I, I tell them, I'm like, you're lucky you're doing this right now. Yes, I agree. <laughs> things aren't quite as crystallized and those deep yeah. neuropathways aren't as as furrowed. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, agree with that. We still can change, though, throughout our whole life, which I think is exciting. The good news is, you know, people enter therapy with understanding what they understand about what they know. And sometimes we find that, you know, I never thought that I would go to this place. And that there's a there's a real beauty in that. It's almost like the person that goes mm-hmm. for the physical therapist and they got a sore hip and they think I have to have work done on my hip. It's not your right hip. It's your left knee. That you haven't, right. you know, that you hurt once upon a time and you think, well, how's the funny bone connect to this bone? And that, well, it all does. And sometimes we're able to track people back to the origin of and heal that. And we find that subsequent to that, all the other areas that have been affected by it begin to fall in line and heal on their own. You know, in addition to what you're doing in the therapy office, are there exercises that, you know, outside of therapy that you recommend to those that are creative or maybe just even to our general listener right mm-hmm. now that you find mm-hmm. help bring awareness and understanding to things that you might recommend? My favorite thing is if you're feeling blocked in a particular area, whatever your medium is. So let's say for me, you know, as a singer, let's say my body, you know, because as a singer, your body is your instrument. And yeah. let's say for whatever reason, my throat's feeling weird or just it's not things aren't coming out like I want. The best thing to do is to do a different creative modality in that moment that I'm not as good at maybe or not as skilled at or don't have as much experience or don't have. And and saying all that, really, the important part is don't have as many expectations and pressure and you know all the stuff that comes along with these modalities that we're familiar with. So for me, you know. It would be a little stretch, but maybe I'll make a little sketch, right? Maybe I will um, play a game, you know? Maybe I will just do something different with my body and my brain that doesn't have anything to do with the thing itself. And then come back kind of with that more refreshed, more frankly, like beginner's mind approach 
to my my more familiar way like of working that. creatively. It's fun, yeah. I really like to say it's almost kind of like in athletics where you cross train. You know, you don't do the same thing over and over again. You cross train something else, and it enhances mm-hmm. the area where you're trying to get better, or you really, you know, your primary focus. That's a great, a great strategy. Yeah, a really yeah. great strategy. And it's fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know that, that. You know some. <laughs> Let's just say a word about that. You know, people sometimes think when they go into into therapy, it's going to be this big, heavy, (laughs) you know, emotional times. And a lot of times it is, particularly at the beginning where you're caring a lot and you're looking to offload and understand some things. And there's some real weight initially around some acute, you know, things that get presented. But therapy is also really an enjoyable exchange where there's laughter and there's Mm -hmm. playfulness and it's safe enough to have all of these things and well-boundaried enough to have all of these things come into play where two humans get together and talk about, again, this thing called life and explore it from the various perspectives that come up. So that is really great. You know, I, I know we're kind of rounding the bend here, coming home on the home stretch, but I'd, I'd love to give kind of a takeaway message to maybe two folks, those that are creatives that are looking to come into therapy and what you might give in terms of a takeaway message for them to consider enhancing what they're doing in their lives through the use of therapy. And maybe also, you know, some therapists that, that might you know, think about working with this population. Say a word to both of those. Mm-hmm. You bet. For creative people who are considering coming into therapy, I would say, you know, take your own creativity, your own ideas around art and creativity. They are important and they do matter. And, you know, if you're with a therapist who understands that, even if they don't consider themselves to be an artist themselves, you know, or necessarily work with creative people, if they can understand and be open and realize that for you, this is something that's really important and respect that, that's great. If you're with a therapist who doesn't get it or doesn't want to get it, and I hate, God, I hate to say because I always hope that that won't happen, but if it does and you're feeling, you know, disrespected or disregarded in any way around your creativity and that's something that's really important to you, like it's okay to, you know, maybe find somebody yeah. else or let them know. Shop or Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, you deserve to to be respected for the things that are important to you. And that's true for anybody across the board and especially to for people who are creative who may be a little more sensitive, you know, around these types of things. So like, yeah, yeah. it's okay. For therapists who want to work with creative people, I say, like, yes, please do. Where are you? (laughs) We need more of us. That's part of the reason why I started my podcast, Beyond Artist Block, was like to build a community of people who work with creative people. And I have to say, I've done 30 or 40 interviews now. Everybody I've talked to who works with creative people, they're so cool. Like they're just yes, like they the are. coolest, neatest like people that I've encountered and I love them. And let's have more of you like, you know, get into this field because I think that, you know, artists deserve to have great mental health and and, and to be taken care of. And yeah, so so let's let's keep doing it. <laughs> That's really good. Appreciate the message as a takeaway. You know, we would love to have our listeners follow up after the show to learn more about you and to connect with all the things that you are doing. Give us the best ways to connect with you. Sure. So my website is rachelmoorecounseling.com. And on there, I have an option for setting up a time to have a 15-minute free consultation with me. And so you can go on there. My practice is pretty full. And if it is full and if or for some other reason, you know, I'm not able to help you as a therapist, I'm happy to give you referrals. And I find for me, that's a service as a therapist for me personally that I think is really important. It's really hard to find a therapist 
And I like being able to help people do that. And I know a lot of folks who are, who are great and I can refer you to. So yeah, you can find me there. You can find my podcast at beyondartistblock.com or any podcatcher. And I don't know, go to a San Diego Master Chorale concert and go. see Come me sing. You. I don't know. Do whatever you like. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. That's good. You guys have any summer concerts coming up or winding down or? This will be, yeah, this will be my first year and they're starting up in the fall. I can't remember specifically nice. what what, the, what they're doing, but of course we'll be doing the Messiah in December. That'll be fun. Fantastic. And yeah, lots of, lots of fun stuff coming up. Well, that's a good piece to sing. Handel's Messiah. That's quite the enthusiastic song. It's a beautiful, it is very, beautiful piece of music. <laughs> very affirming. Yeah. Very, yes, it is. Well, Rachel, it should have been nice to meet you today, have you on the show. And thanks for sharing all that you're doing with us. Thank you. I really enjoyed being here and it was great to meet you. Great to meet you as well. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Rachel and me today. It's always great to have you with us as well. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. Thanks again for joining us on the show. And we look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.